Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. So Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse 11, we're going to cross over into the sixth chapter uh, to the third verse. This is a perfect example of, uh, in the original Bible, there was not all these uh, numbers and chapters all written. So in this chapter, really the stuff in the end of five kind of went with the stuff at the beginning of six, but I didn't make the numbers uh, and it's still fine. Uh, so we'll cross over in there, and it says in chapter 5, verse 11, it says this, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. Enlightening way to start, right? For, through, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have uh, their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works of faith towards God and of instruction about washing and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. This is the word of the Lord. I pray that we'll be built up by it. So probably uh, time frame, maybe five or six years now, uh, I've really enjoyed uh, biking quite a bit. Um, I've, I've gotten kind of serious with it, uh, meaning I don't just go down to the Katy Trail and do a mile and out, and I don't drive to Roachport and, and walk 10 minutes and then eat at Merriweather. Like, uh, I kind of go for it a little bit. I've, I've been a little bit of a serious biker over these years. How serious? Well, I have quite a bit of Lycra and spandex in my closet now. I have uh, men's tights. I have cycling bibs, which are like tights and overalls put together for the bicycle, and they're way, way, way too tight, like uncomfortably tight. Sometimes uncomfortably tight to wear, probably uncomfortably tight if you see me wearing them. That's how serious it is. Uh, on certain years, I put thousands of miles on the bike, whether it be on road or gravel or when I get to go travel and ride single track in places with mountains. Uh, there's been years I put quite a few miles on the bike, and the culmination of probably my biking fitness uh, thus far came maybe three or four years ago uh, when I was a little bit smaller, a little bit skinnier than I am right now, but I did a 62-mile race here in Columbia. Now, this race was meant to be a charity event. It was supposed to be for quote-unquote fun, but it was pretty serious. Uh, hundreds of riders, uh, many with bikes worth more than a lot of people's cars, all descended on this event, and they descended on the starting line with full biker's kit and race gear and just really, really uh, intimidating stuff. And I wondered that day, have I made a huge, huge mistake? Uh, am I out of my league? Am I about to get crushed? These guys are, they, they, they weigh much less than I do. There's a lot of hills to climb, and they've been biking a whole lot longer. Am I in a whole lot of trouble? Uh, I made it through the day, uh, and, and I did not die. Uh, so, so that was good. It, there was a couple times it was touch and go on whether I would make it through, uh, but I did. But I want you to imagine with me for a second the starting line of that race with hundreds of riders and, and all of this nice 
equipment. And if at the starting line, you're just kind of standing at the edge, waiting for everyone to go. And right before the, the signal and as the signal went, you saw a man who appeared to be on one of the most expensive bikes that you have ever seen, full di uh, tight biker's gear, expensive glasses, I mean the whole shebang, and all of a sudden he took off at the start of that race, and you notice the man has training wheels on his bike. And he wasn't riding it in the ironic way, like, ha, 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 kidding, like, he's serious. Like, taking off, training wheels, going for it, serious race, serious biker, serious man on a bike with training wheels. What would you think at the exact moment of time? Probably something like, that man will never be near my children, or I wonder if he got dropped on his head. The basic thought would probably be something like this. That man is far too old for that, though. A grown man shouldn't be utilizing the tools and toys and supplements of a child. There's certain things in life that we expect a person to just kind of mature past, to, to get over. And we kind of find it awkward, if not troubling, if we see a person who, who does not progress in the way they should to kind of the, the next steps. Matt Chandler has an example of this that I've always found kind of funny about a kiddie pool. It's somewhat normal to, to see a very small kid in a, in a kiddie pool with the awkwardly warm water that nobody really wants to talk about. But it's a different deal if a grown man with floaties and goggles, is just living his best life now in the middle of a child's pool alone, splashing and kicking and having a great old time, smile from ear to ear. If that situation happens, there's a serious problem. Because adults aren't meant for that. They're meant for the real pool. They're meant for deep water. They're for, meant for something more. This kind of idea of stages of maturity, I've kind of tried to hide it in goofy examples. But in, at the heart of it really is what the author is focusing on here in Hebrews in this text in front of us. The author, in a direct way, is telling the church, the people, hey, I'm really worried about you. Uh, I'm deeply worried because you uh, are not growing up in the way that you should. There's some progressing, there's some markers of faith that kind of should be there by now, and they're not there uh, with you. And I'm really worried about that. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about the issue of your maturity. The issue of maturity or issues in this church probably are not a complete surprise for us, being what we've seen already in the book. In chapter 1, the author had to redirect them because some of the guys were worshiping angels, even over Jesus. They had this obsession with angels, and he's like, hey, you got to cool that stuff. No. And then in chapter 2, he's dealing with the regular pattern of, of drifting away from, from faith. People just kind of kept walking the other way. In chapter 3, he dealt with people abandoning their original confession. In chapter 4, people were not pursuing rest in God. In chapter 5, people were pursuing disobedient ways over and over and over again to gain what they weren't getting by their rest in God. The author has been continually kind of correcting uh, the church in the book so far. Yes, the author has been trying to show this church in Rome Jesus, trying to encourage them that Jesus is better, but he's also had to say at times, hey, in this area, you need to grow up and you need to fix this and you need to do better. There lies the tension for us though, Especially in our modern culture, in our modern context, we have a little bit of a difficult time balancing the topics of, of grace with effort or intentionality. Salvation being a gift totally accomplished by the, by the work and person of Jesus, that is true, and yet still understanding that there's things that the Bible tells us that we need to strive for, we need to try at, we need to work at growing in as we follow Jesus. Here's the, the key, you do not work to save yourself, but once you are saved, there are some things that you need to kind of work at. 
For several years, there's been this growing idea in the culture at large, especially uh, in, in those who are, who are upset at quote-unquote religion and all the things that come with that, but there's been this growing idea that effort is bad and that uh, any form of working or striving or, or attempting to, to kind of do better in faith is actually legalistic and should be abandoned, and any call to grow up or mature is actually a, an anti-gospel, and any push to stop an action or to actually grow in a discipline is actually a form of oppression. And yet over and over in the Bible, it pushes into areas that believers need to change and address. Look, look at the book of Corinth. We tackled uh, Corinthians uh, a couple years ago in the church, but Paul had to address like a laundry list of things with them. Uh, They were embracing false apostles, wallowing in childish immaturity. There was a dude who was sleeping with his stepmom and just nobody wanted to say anything about it. They were divided by factions. They were badly abusing the spiritual gifts. There were people getting drunk in the the communion table and saying grace and and not paying attention. They were a mess. And, And what happens in the book of Corinth, Paul lovingly calls them out of it. Why? So that they would change. It's not good for you to keep doing that. And he calls them out. In Galatia, the church was in danger of, of really denying the, the, the idea of justification by faith alone. They started believing because the Pharisees were telling them that you needed to do ritual washings and purification, and, and it's really Jesus plus all of these other things to, to be saved, and that had to be addressed as well. In Philippi, the church had struggled with disunity and selfishness, and that had to be addressed. In Colossae, the church had come dangerously close to adopting a false gospel. All of these issues, the church was lovingly called out of saying, you need to stop that. You need to find repentance and faith regarding that. All of those situations were for their good and not to hurt them. Leaders addressed them for their good so that they would be at a healthier spot. The text today is doing much of that same thing. It is addressing specifically the issue of maturing, though. Which probably leads us to a a helpful little question. If you've been around for any period of time, you know I love questions to kind of set our mind in a text. But a basic and simple question that we need to wrestle with is what is supposed to happen in a Christian life? What's supposed to happen? What is meant to happen? And seriously, think about that. Be specific. What should happen? What should not happen? Because the Bible is not even close to silent about this issue. It speaks extensively about the Christian life, how it should be conducted, what it's supposed to look like, certain markers that you're kind of supposed to hit, and it even does this from a 30,000-foot view all the way down to a heart-level view when it begins to talk about things like lust and anger and pride that get dealt with. The Bible deals with this all over. So this question is important and necessary for us to process the the what is a, a Christian life supposed to look like because your answer to this question, whether you'll state it or it's just in your mind, will have a whole lot to do with how you actually live your life. It'll have a whole lot of weight concerning the patterns that you devote yourself and, and what you think is important. And maybe we can give some examples to show what I mean. If you answer that a Christian is just supposed to Um, be saved from hell and go to heaven. That's what they're supposed to do. Uh, That answer is is extremely, extremely, it's it's a very small and narrow vision of the beauty that is meant for the Christian life. Yes, it's a beautiful reality that God will redeem everything that has been broken, that one day that creation will be restored and believers will enjoy uh, reconciliation with God without pain or death or suffering, But there's a whole lot more 
in between now and then that is supposed to happen that the Bible talks about as well. But if a person doesn't ever actually think about that, well, then they're they're never going to focus on anything else. They're never going to pray for anything else. They're not going to strive for anything else, and they'll miss a large part of what's involved in the Christian life. We can narrow it down even more. If you, if you think the Christian life is just supposed to uh, sin less as they live, well, that's definitely true, but if you narrow everything in the Christian life down to that, then likely things like community or mission or, or worship or discipleship will not hardly be on your, your radar because they'll be of little value to you. You'll begin to go, well, does that help me sin less? Well, I, I can't see at the moment how it does, so I'm not actually going to do that. You'll miss a lot of what you're called to. Now, there isn't just one thing that's supposed to happen in uh, the Christian life. There are, are quite a few. We're meant to be a part of a body, a local church that we serve and use the gifts that we have to, to build up the body and, and for the glory of God. We're meant to be missional. We're meant to be disciples who make disciples. We're meant to worship. We're meant to sing. We're, we're, we're meant to, it's not a personality type. We're meant to lift our hands and our praise to the Lord. We're meant to pray. We're meant to fast. We're meant to battle in the spiritual realms. We're meant to fight our flesh and our sin. We're meant to encourage brothers and sisters. We're meant to submit to Jesus as Lord over all areas of our life. We're meant to uh, pursue spiritual gifts. We are meant to uh, push back darkness, love the least of these, be generous. And there's much, much, much more that's not an exhaustive list. We're also meant to, on that list needs to be added, we're meant to grow up and mature in our faith. To, as the author puts it, leave childhood in faith and then walk in discernment. For, for any way, like if we take a little sidebar and like, I just don't know if I like the trajectory of where this is headed. It wants discernment for you. This isn't what some are meant to do, or pastors, or Christian authors, or deacons, or worship leaders. This is what every believer is called to, maturity and wisdom and discernment in their faith. As we dig into the details, I'm going to just ask you at a heart level, do you believe that that is true? And if you do, is it something that's happening in your life? Do you see yourself growing in those things? And if you don't, would you be confident enough in Christ to kind of have him help you deal with that? The text opens with the author saying there is much more, follow his line of reasoning because it's important. There's much more that I want to say to you. There's more that I want to dig into. But it's hard to explain or get that across to you because you become dull in your hearing. Now, it may sound like a, like a slam or a mic drop moment, like he's trying to kind of get after him, but, but that's not what he's trying to do at all. The text last week was about Jesus as the, the faithful high priest, about Jesus as our go-between between us and God, about him being the perfect sacrifice that ends all other sacrifices. The author's kind of leading into church. I want to I dive deeper into the nuances of, of Christ as your high priest because I want to show you how amazing and powerful and beautiful that is that he's fulfilled that office fully, that he destroys the guilt of those who have sinned, that he is uh, the one that helps us understand that we don't need to work to be loved anymore by God, that we can commune with God in prayer. I want to dive deeper into all of that. I want to teach you about that so you can be blessed by it and see a, a fuller, more profound view of what Jesus has done. I want that for you. I want you to be strengthened by it. But I can't push into that right now. Because something's wrong at a heart level. Something's wrong and you become kind of dull in your hearing. He's saying some of you couldn't hear it even if I I tried. Then he goes on saying you ought to be teachers by this time. 
And yet what I see is a people that need to be taught all over, again, the basic principles, just the foundational stuff of God. You should be teaching by now, but you need to hear all over. Though I want to dive into the harder things, the more mature things, right now you need milk, not solid food. You need the basics. You can't handle the depth of what I want to, to tell you. You're not mature enough to take it in, to digest it. You can't process it. Again, he's not trying to be mean or rude. He wants to help him out. I've got a little inner skeptic in me when, when I hear, whether it's a pastor or, or anybody else kind of saying that this is something that you need to focus on. Inside, I'm always asking, prove it. How do you know? Show me in the text. Right? So in this call towards maturity, you may likely ask, well, how do you know that that's that big of a deal? Well, it's right here in the text. You ought to be teachers by now. You ought to be. And it doesn't give exact time frames of whether it's in one year or five or 10 or, or 20, but it's a clear message. You're meant to, to grow. You ought to mature. The idea of maturity is foundational to our faith. If you want more examples, Paul talks extensively about maturing in the faith over and over and over again. He says that we believers, all who have their faith in Jesus and who are following him, are meant to grow in unity. In a world growing in division, we're meant to grow in unity, into mature manhood and mature womanhood in the fullness of Christ. And we're called to no longer be like children tossed to and fro by every wind, wave, and doctrine in the world, but to be strong and grow up. There's still some who say, well, that's the author of Hebrews and Paul, but I'm kind of a Jesus guy. I kind of just go by the words of, uh, of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't really talk about this progressive faith. He just says, come to me and I'll give you rest. He, do, he doesn't say anything like that. If you're kind of in that camp, uh, lovingly, let me show you how you're wrong. The Sermon on the Mount is a beautiful example of this specifically, you could really, you could use the whole thing, but, but the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five is Jesus preaches the best sermon ever given by the best preacher ever. Jesus, he rolls out these blessed are you statements. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Um, blessed are the persecuted. And those statements are, are often mistaken as human attributes as if God is scouring the earth looking for someone who already has those. And he goes, okay, I'm going to love that guy. I'm going to save him. I'm looking for him. You got it. There's a merciful one. I want him on my team. That guy's pure in heart. I, I want him on, on my team. Like, like that sort of idea. But that is the exact opposite of what's in the text. Those are not things that you do on your own or can do in your own. Those are things that Jesus has done perfectly. But then as you follow Jesus, he grows in you. As you devote yourself to him and follow him, those are the types of traits that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears in your life. We become those who are merciful. We become those who are peacemakers. We become those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is how you can see the most uh, licentious and wild person ever turn into a person who hungers for the righteousness of God. That's the Spirit's work. This is what the Spirit does, even at times when it's kind of painful, when you're going, man, I don't want to be merciful. I, I deserve to have judgment and have this fixed. So the Spirit does that in us. The Spirit empowers us and trains us to not be like the world, but grows us to where we mature and look more like Jesus. It is not just Pauline theology. Christ himself over and over and over calls us into deeper water in our faith and maturity. So the author says, I'm worried that you're not maturing. And then he lists four 
reasons or evidences that point to the fact that the people aren't growing up. Again, I don't know if I can say it clearly enough because they're even going over some of this in the office and writing it down. You're like, oh, that sounds heavy. And oh, that sounds heavy. It's not meant to hurt you. It's meant for all of us to, to draw us into deeper things and give us security and stability. The first thing that he says is the evidence that you're not growing up is he says they don't listen very well. We could probably do a sermon series on listening and the Spirit's work to help us listen. But he says the, uh, they're dull in their hearing. That's what he says in verse 11. We, we spent time already talking about it. They don't listen very well. The second thing, he says they're forgetful. So we found in verse 12 of the text, you should be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again. Right? You've been taught already but you forgot and you need to be taught again the basics, the foundational things, another time. There are times when people claim ignorance over a given situation. Hey, I just didn't know. Nobody told me, you should have told me. You didn't teach me X, Y, or, or Z, but the author says, well, you've been told before. You need to be told again. There's something that is happening that you're hearing, but you can't actually hear. You've heard with your ears, but, but it hasn't sunk into to your heart. Your ears are fine, but something, is, something on the inside is causing an issue where it needs to be repeated and reminded over and over and over again. You're forgetting the, the basics of, of God. One author I read about this said forgetfulness is actually a sign of selfishness in them and in us. Remember, the author said you should be teachers by now helping others, helping others to grow in their faith. Instead, you're still a taker, one who always needs to be taught, one who always needs to be helped. There's a time that all of us need to be helped, but as we grow in our faith, we want to help others too. There's a mark of selfishness that kind of marks this like spiritual toddlerness. Do toddlers help with the dishes? No, they throw dishes. Do they clean their rooms? No. Do they prepare their own food? Do they change themselves? Do they do anything? No, they need all things done for them. They are 100% little takers. That's okay, because they're toddlers. The problem is when 35-year-old men and women still operate in this way. The author in Hebrews is saying, physically, you guys are grown-ups. You still need everything done for you like a spiritual toddler. Third, they're unskilled. This is what we find in verse 13. The author says, you're unskilled when it comes to the word of righteousness. This is the word of God, the Bible. He doesn't expect everyone to be able to parse original language, teach scholarly level classes. But with time, as a person pursues knowing the word more, something amazing happens. Slowly but surely, the Holy Spirit begins to train them and give them skills in the word. As a person puts their heart before the, the word and says, teach me, help me, guide me, train me in, in righteousness, and they lean into it, slowly but surely, the reps in front of the word add up. I came across a video of me doing Olympic lifting eight years ago, a lift called the, the snatch, where you take a barbell from the floor, and in one movement, you get it overhead. It's technically the, the, the hardest barbell movement uh, that there is. It was kind of embarrassing to watch the video. As I saw, uh, the only redeeming quality in the videos, I had a pretty good beard then. 
I had no control over what I was doing. I slammed the bar off of my hips. I almost fell forward because it was on my, my toes. I, I had no really understanding of pulls or what I was doing or how I was doing. I was just kind of, I was going and I couldn't lift much weight and I looked kind of helpless. Now, eight years later, after many reps, consistent practice, after just simply going to uh, the gym and trying over and over and over to kind of learn this list or this lift and do better, here's just a kind of fun reality. I'm not nearly as terrible as I used to be. I'm not going to go compete in the Olympics. But I've developed some skills for people who do snatch for that long. I'm, I'm better than a lot of them. That's kind of a cool thing to say. Over time, I've progressed. In the word, when we desire it, there's, there's really a similar thing there. Come before it daily. Come before it consistently. And ask the Lord to help you and the Spirit to grow you. And over years, over regular times of exposure and a willing heart, it's shocking and amazing how much of a biblical skill set that the Holy Spirit would develop in your life. Like, wow. Over time, like I, I knew a whole lot more than I did before. You begin to understand the narrative of creation and fall and redemption and reconciliation. And you see how things in the Old Testament are actually pointing to Jesus. You're like, man, I, wow, there's so much more to it. It just takes time. Yet these people in Rome, they, they weren't growing. Years had gone by, but the skill and the understanding of their hearts was kind of stagnant and, and plateaued or non-existent. Fourth, they are undiscerning. This is what we find in verse 14. A person who has moved from milk to solid food and, and has not forgotten what they hear and, and their hearing isn't dulled and they're desirous of growing, that person will simultaneously, kind of through practice and development, they will grow the power of discernment. They'll be able to more distinguish good and evil and what is truth and what are lies as they live. This is what the word does with the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer. It shows us how to live, how to handle things, how to operate in the world. But the author says, you, church, haven't matured, so you can't do this. You're unequipped and forgetful. You're unable to navigate the, the world around you because spiritually, you're still like a toddler running into traffic. Right, that discernment factor for a toddler who doesn't know to not run into the busy street and, and you have to grab them by the neck. Spiritually, that's what we do when we don't have the ability of discernment. We don't know what's dangerous for us and what's gonna hurt us. I know, again, that some of this can feel heavy or like the author is being rough on them as if he's kind of having a good time and, and putting them down, but, but it's not really that. Children don't know how to handle themselves in the world. They don't know how to live. They don't know how to exist in, in chaos and danger or take care of themselves. Children are right to get taken advantage of and get hurt and get deceived. Believers are meant to not be like children spiritually. We aren't meant to have dull hearing. We're not meant to be forgetful. We're meant to be skilled and have discernment on how to deal with the things that come at us in the world. Believers are meant to be trained up in righteousness. We're meant to be thoroughly equipped. We're meant to be those who grow in strength and faith and wisdom. We're not supposed to walk around with a swagger like we're better and smarter. That's not what it means. But a believer is meant to not get taken uh, captive by every new fad or idea. They're not meant to jump on every bandwagon wagon that comes at them. 
There are those who stand strong on the anchor of truth in God. And because of that, they have the beautiful gift of steadfastness in the storm. The ability to follow Jesus in the chaos. It's the manifestation of the lyrics on Christ the solid rock, I stand, all other ground is, is sinking stand. The life that, that, that begins to see and hold to Christ in the middle of the storm and the chaos. This is the maturity that's meant to come for your life and mine. We're not meant to have one mature person. We're meant to all mature in the faith. What's a way that some of this discernment plays out through skill in the world or discernment? The Bible, all analogies and things break through, so I'll just lay that out ahead of time. This one is not perfect. The Bible is not silent about a host of things that we face in our lives, but there are many things that, that we will face in our lives that the Bible doesn't directly mention. There's a whole host of people who go, well, Jesus didn't talk specifically about that, so that's not what that means. Can't do that. There's things that you need to grow in discernment on how to navigate. What's, what's a low-hanging fruit example? Television. That word's not in the Bible in any language that you look for it. And we still need to decide what we can watch and what we shouldn't. How much time is smart and at what age people should be allowed to and what's good and what's helpful. There's things that we have to decide, even though the Bible doesn't say television, flat screen, or movie theater. The child in the faith may say, well, we're free in grace and the Bible doesn't talk about it, so just enjoy it. We don't need to worry about what our eyes take in through the vehicle of the television and and park themselves in our hearts. We don't need to worry about that while the mature person will realize that what you view causes your heart to do a lot of stuff. The things that you view can walk you straight into deep, untethered lust, anger, greed. And if you can't control how much your eyes are in front of the television, you'll become apathetic really, really quick. The mature person will realize, well, though the Bible is silent over the word television, it isn't silent about the things that a screen will do to my heart, and I need to watch out for those things. That's a discernment issue. And that's just a small example to to kind of scratch the the surface. The idea is as we mature, we'll grow in our our ability to navigate about everything. We'll see how the scriptures uh, speak into the regular things, like what job to take right? Okay, the Bible calls me to be this type of person. If I'm in that job and traveling 24-7 and and gone all the time, like I can't be home, I can't be a part of the body. Okay, it it should probably filter into what kind of job that I take and not just how much money they offer me. Uh, The Bible speaks into who to marry, where to live, how to view money, how to spend money, how to deal with people who hurt you, how to deal with success, how to deal with disappointment, how to deal with suffering, how to deal when you get influence or power in the worlds around you, how to think of the local church, how to be generous, how to parent, how to view politics, how not to view politics. The Bible teaches you how to discern these types of things. The ways are countless, but the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, will equip the people of God to handle and face more like Jesus the things that they encounter with faith. It'll teach us how to diagnose, expose, and run from evil when we need to. And this is what every believer is meant to have develop in their life. If we stand back, the author has given a lot of ways that Jesus is better to this church in Hebrews so far. But now in the text, he's showing them... "I, I need you to know that Jesus is better... 
I shouldn't have to beg you to stay by Jesus, saying Jesus is better every day. You should know this stuff. You're not rookies in the faith anymore. I'll be patient with you, but you've got to see it's time to grow up. To leave the elementary doctrines, as he says, and go on to maturity. This leaving of elementary doctrines um, is a call to leave the basic stuff. And when he says to leave it, it's not like kind of leave it all behind. It's more actually leave it as the, as the thing that's alone and then actually build on it. By, by leave, it's, it's don't make that the only thing you know. Build on top of the foundation of the elementary doctrine so that you can move into deeper water through the basics that you've learned. You keep forgetting this other stuff so you can't ever build upon it. Let's leave that stuff in the fact of let's build upon it. Let's grow more so that we can figure out how to walk through this thing. When he lists dead works of faith, washings, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment, he's counting those elementary doctrines there that some of them were consumed with. Essentially, he's saying, yes, by faith we're saved. Yes and amen. Not by our dead works. Yes and amen. Yes, there's a baptism. Yes, there is a laying on of hands. That's how people were brought into the early church. Yes, there is a resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. All of those things are are true. Those are good. Hold on to them. Now build on top of them. Let's dive into a deeper end. Let's see you learn not just the basics of the faith. Let's see you how to... Let's see you learn how to live and follow Jesus in the world. Instead of needing to be convinced to not leave him every day, let's see you grow up, grow skilled, and grow strong to learn to navigate the chaos around you. Let's see you be trained up in righteousness. Let's see you live as the light of the world instead of having to be begged to stay every week. Let's see others begin to see Christ through you in how you live. Let's see you become anchored uh, no matter what the world throws at you. Let's see you uh, not be an infant, but be uh, the one who grows and someday helps others learn to grow as well in their faith. Let, come on, let's see. This is vision. He's going, man, I, w- I want more for you because God wants more for you and he has more for you. I want to be kind of careful in this text to not invent too specific of kind of action steps. I more just want to declare what we've seen in the text and remind us, this is just a reminder, you're meant to grow. So am I. You're not done and neither am I. We're meant to grow in Jesus to not be weak and confused all the time. The vision of not being paralyzed in fear of the things who come at you, but going, yes, this is really hard, but the Bible speaks into that. He wants to grow that type of zeal and a knowledge and ability and wisdom in you. We are meant to have a good idea of right and wrong and evil and good and to see a deepening of the word in our hearts and a skill around the word grow and an ability to discern things in the world. The question just becomes, if you're a believer, is this a reality for you? It's, it's really that simple. I don't need to navigate into a prettier way. For some of you, I stand back and I'm so thankful for the ways that I've seen you mature. We've got a membership, our membership meeting after this and the elders and several other people have just kind of talked about some of the really neat things that have happened over the last year and over the last couple years. As we see and talk about people mature, the beauty of what we've experienced is, man, I've seen some people go from a helpless child to strong, anchored believer. I've seen people switch from taker to disciple. 
I've seen people go from not so great discernment to like you make the worst decisions possible to someone who can discern pretty well, right? And, and wrong. I've seen selfish people uh, really turn into compassionate ones who pour out their life. I've seen angry people become softened and sensitive. I've seen hard hearts soften and soft minds harden. God in myself and in many others has done this beautiful and encouraging work. How amazing is it to see God grow you and others in the faith? We have, we have this idea maybe of who we should be all the time, but maybe we don't really remember the beauty that God's already done. Maybe you're not as far as you want to be, but you're probably further than you were five years ago. That is a, a thing that you should probably thank the Lord for. And you're growing me and teaching me. And some of the things I even went through over the last month, like I would have been tanked in fear and not knowing what to do, and, and it still stinks, but I, I understand what to do now. I, I, I've been given an anchor. If you see yourself growing in that or have seen others grow in that, I, I think a beautiful thing to do is in worship, thank the Lord. I thank you for your good work. Are we where we need to be in the end? No. But have we seen you work? Yes, thank you for that. Thank you for your kindness. You've grown me. You've helped me. Man, my, my, my brother or sister, I didn't even know if they'd still be here, and you've grown their faith. Thank him for that. Lord, your hand is not too short to save, and you hold on to us, and you mature us. Thank you. On the flip side, you may sit here and think, man, I, I don't think I am growing. Or I've never even asked the question if I'm growing. M- maybe you did at one time, but you're just kind of here now. Maybe you were zealous for the word growing in faith at one point, but that's just all plateaued. Now you're on autopilot just trying to kind of get through. Man, if that's you, just, it's, it's not a beat down into shame. It's, it's just a call into maturity. God doesn't want you to be done growing. He's got more for you. Life is hard. Things are difficult. The Lord has more beauty for you. He wants you to be anchored. He doesn't want you to be powerless. He wants you to be able to discern the things coming at you. He's not trying to ask you to re-sign up to, to earn his love or prove that you're serious this time or anything like that. He just wants you to grow up in strength. If you're finding the, the reality, man, I just don't think I have grown, ask for help in that. We've set up our service in a specific way for a reason. We have time for songs. We're even giving some more time for, for prayer. Lean into the Lord. Lord, I, I, I don't know. I, I think I may have become like dull in hearing. or I, I, I think maybe I've become forgetful. Holy Spirit, will you help me? Train me, teach me how to, to grow, bring me into maturity. Maybe you ask an, another believer, a friend, or someone around here, you confess to them, hey, I, th- I think that's kind of where I'm at. We we just pray with me over that? Like, I want you to know for accountability or even just to ask back, will you, will you pray for me? Don't let the day pass away. If God is drawing you, showing you this, don't try and deal with it tomorrow. Just pray, ask, ask for help. See, we all get enamored with the idea of a quick and efficient growth or success. But the Christian walk, it matures by faithfulness over long periods of time. This is what we do. The Christian walk isn't something that goes viral and explodes in a minute. Long pursuits of faithfulness that may not be sexy in the world's eyes, or noteworthy in the world's eyes, but one day at a time as we press into the things of God with the Spirit, God grows us. This is what's meant to happen in the Christian life. For all who believe, for you and for me. I'd remind you as well, if if you're going, hey man, I'm not in either of those positions. I don't don't even know that I'm saved or believe in this Jesus, the continual thing I'll tell you as well. 
God has sent his son to deal with the problem of your sin just like he did mine. You don't have to fix it all in order to lean into that. You can come and take at the table today praying, Lord, I need a savior. Jesus, will you cover my sin? And then you can walk into the same thing where you begin to mature in the faith. And this could be your inroad. This could be your beginning. Some of us are growing and we need to be thankful. Some of us have stopped and we need to ask the Lord for help. And some of us just need to walk into the kingdom of God. The Lord is drawing you. I pray that you would. If you have questions about that, man, I'd be happy to pray with you. The Lord has done a good work. How amazing is it that our God has made a way for us to be redeemed that we didn't have to earn that? And then he's got a plan to grow us up to where we're not weak and fickle and on the ground crying because we don't know how to deal with everything all the time. He wants you to mature. It's not a prosperity gospel to say that you're meant to be strong in your faith. He's got that for you. That's an encouraging thing if we look at it in the eyes and ask the Lord to help us with it. We're going to take communion today, man. You guys can come back up. None of this would be possible without the Lord's work. We're going to keep everything right. Yes, yes, in the call to maturity, there's some things that you pay attention to, but none of that would even happen without Christ. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we come to the table, we are remembering that the Lord's body was broken and his blood was shed for all of our sin and our unrighteousness. What have we been learning in Hebrews? He was the sacrifice that ended all sacrifices. He's the only sacrifice that covers our guilt, that walks us into the family of God, that builds us up. As you come to the table, would you thank him? There's been a sacrifice and it's enough to cover you and to love you and adopt you and bring you into the family of God. You're meant to just be built up by taking and remembering what the Lord has done. You don't have to be a member here uh, to take. We just ask that your faith be in Jesus. We're gonna have some time again. We're, we're trying to just slowly and surely put it into kind of the liturgy of how we do things. We'll have a little bit of time. We'll play some music acoustically for you to be able to deal with things in prayer. And we just ask that you lean into that. We're going to keep pressing in this area. What a shame it would be for us to get together over the gospel regularly and have the table regularly and, and be a people who don't actually engage with the Lord in prayer as we do. So just keep pressing you. Why wouldn't you pray? Why wouldn't you lean into the Lord, whether it's in thankfulness or asking for your help or for his help, lean into prayer as we grow. Let's pray. Would you stand with me?